chapter twenty six of the call of the wild flower this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox the call of the wild flower by henry salt chapter twenty six the last rose and summer's lease hath all too short a date the great days were not born to be forgotten it is well that memory should come to the aid of the flower lover for none is more deserving of such comfort than he keeping constant watch as he does over the transitoriness of the seasons and having a prescience of the summer's departure while summer is still at its height sometimes a late autumnal thought has crossed my mind in green july it is in the prime of the year that such intimations of mortality are keenest when the fall itself has arrived there is less of regret than of resignation i do not know where the tranquil grief for parted loveliness is so tenderly expressed as in a fragmentary poem of shelley's the zuka which though little known by the majority of readers contains some of the most poignant most shellian verses ever written the poet relates how when the italian summer was dead and autumn was in turn expiring he went forth in grief for the decay of that ideal beauty dim object of my soul's idolatry of which he above all men was the worshipper and in this mood of sadness found the withered gourd which was the subject of his song and thus i went lamenting when i saw a plant upon the river's margin lie like one who loved beyond his nature's law and in despair had cast him down to die there is a fitness in such imagery for flowers seem to serve naturally as emblems of human emotions who has not felt the pathos of a faded blossom kept as a memorial of the past many years ago i was given a beautifully bound copy of moxon's edition of shelley and when i noticed that opposite that loveliness of poems epicyge dion were a few pink petals interleaved i was sure that their presence at such a page was not merely accidental and it has since been a whim of mine that those tokens of some bygone incident in the life of a former owner of the book should not be displaced there are vicissitudes in human lives with which flowers become associated in our thoughts i recall a calm autumn day spent in company with a friend upon the surrey downs when the majorum and other fragrant flowers of the chalk were still as beautiful as in summer but the sadness of a near departure from that familiar district lay heavy on my mind and that day proved indeed to be the end of many happy years for long afterwards when i returned to those hills all was changed for me though nature was kindly as before thus a date not greatly heeded at the time may be found to have marked one of life's turning points and the flowers connected with it may hold a peculiar significance in memory it is a sad moment for a flower lover when he sees before him the last rose of summer rose is a term which may here be used in a general sense for any sweet and pleasing flower 
and realizes that he is now face to face with the season's euthanasia that last brief resurrection of summer in its most brilliant memorials a resurrection that has no root in the past nor steady hold upon the future like the lambent and fitful gleams from an expiring lamp yet so gradual is this change and the resurrection of which de quincey speaks so entrancing that one is comforted even while he grieves for example there are few sights more cheering on a late september day than to find by some bare tidal river a colony of the marsh mallow the most admired member of the family is usually the musk mallow and certainly it is a very pretty flower with its bright foliage and the pink satiny sheen of its corolla but far more charming though less showy in appearance is its modest sister of the salt marshes whose leaves overspread with hoary down are soft as soft as velvet and her petals steeped in as tender and delicate a tint of palest rose-colored as could be imagined in dreams there is something especially gracious about this althea or healer and her virtues are not more soothing to body than to mind it was from the sussex shingles that i started and from the same shore my concluding picture shall be drawn a quaint sea posy that i picked there on an october afternoon not so romantic certainly as one of violets or forget-me-nots but in that sear season not less heartening than any nosegay of the spring it held but three flowers samphire sea rocket and sea heath the samphire at all times a singular and attractive herb was now in fruit and had faded to a wan yellow the rocket was still in flower its lilac blossoms crowning the solid glaucous stalk and its thick fleshy leaves rivaling the texture of seaweed the small sea heath with wiry reddish stems and dark green foliage lent itself by a natural contrast for twining around its bulkier companions thus grouped they stood for weeks in a vase on my mantle until the time for wild flowers was overpast and the black and tan days of winter were already let loose on the earth and even when the year is actually at its lowest the sunnier times can be revived and re-enacted in thought for memory is potent as that wizard in morris's poem who in depth of a northern christmas tide could so wondrously transform the season that through one window men beheld the spring and through another saw the summer glow and through a third the fruited vines a row while still unheard but in its wonted way piped the drear wind of that december day such flowery scenes has the writing of this little book brought back to me and has robbed at least one winter of many cheerless hours end of chapter twenty six end of the call of the wild flower by henry salt